you know, the Word of God is so interesting, and it's so powerful, and it has such an uh, uplifting uh, effect on our lives. It revives our soul. It brings joy back into our hearts. It uh, restores us, teaches us, sanctifies us, does so many things. So, as always, I am uh, very excited to spend this next hour or 45 minutes in the Word with you this morning. All right, well, sometimes we think uh, we are growing in Christ when we are just wasting our time discussing things that aren't profitable, things that aren't doing us or anybody any good at all. Uh, some topics uh, of discussion and debate may sound so spiritual, but they're not helpful, they are not life-giving, and a lot of times they're not even true. They may even be about something in the Bible, but they're not relevant to the message of the Bible. And they often degenerate into fights and arguments, and they become obsessions over things that don't really matter. They distract us from Christ. Uh, they make us forget all about the commandment to love each other, uh, and they hinder genuine spiritual growth. But by knowing this scripture that we are looking at this morning, you will be able to identify and stay away from these unprofitable debates that Paul said can even ruin your life. So Paul begins the book of 1 Timothy with this warning. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The goal of our instruction is love that issues from pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. But certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. In our passage, verse 14 begins, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Remind them of what things? Well, all the things that Paul has just said, that we need to endure hardship and faithfully follow Jesus Christ no matter the cost. If we endure, we will reign with him. That's what he just told us. And so he says, remind people of these things and then charge them before God not to quarrel about words. The word translated charge means to testify solemnly or earnestly. So Paul was saying, in the most serious possible way, I command you in God's presence not to quarrel about words. There is no way to make an instruction any weightier than the way that Paul just couched this command or this warning. This should put us on the edge of our chairs or maybe on our knees this is something that we need to pay the utmost attention to. Quarreling is a temptation for many of us or probably for all of us at times. Uh, some people just gravitate toward fights and quarrels. They love to be combative. But Paul said, actually later down in this chapter, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. He must be able to teach 
and even refute error, but he's not to be a quarrelsome person. One of the qualifications for an elder in the church is that he is not quarrelsome. So more specifically, though, Paul said not to quarrel about words. And we don't know exactly what words Paul was talking about. He's, words communicate thoughts and ideas, positions, so to speak. So it obviously included that. But we don't know exactly what words Paul was talking about. But he certainly was telling them, do not get into pettiless or petty, unprofitable arguments. Uh, don't quarrel about things that are not important, things that are mere speculation or things that are just plain crazy or off the wall and things that do not build people up or further God's purposes in anybody's life. And human beings have an enormous capacity to be drawn into arguments and topics that don't matter and a capacity to neglect the things that really do matter. This was a big problem then, obviously. Paul wrote a lot about this, and it's a big problem now. To some people, the Christian life becomes merely something to debate about and fight about. It's just a, it just becomes a debate about words, words and ideas. And this is a big theme throughout 1 and 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 4 Paul warns about those who have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy or pride, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people. 1 Timothy 6.20, avoid, that's 1 Timothy 6.20, avoid godless foolish discussions, 2 Timothy 2.23, reviews Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. So this was obviously something that was a big concern of Paul as he wrote the book of First and Second Timothy. I find it interesting that this warning or these, these guidelines are couched in general principles. Uh, in other words, the Holy Spirit through Paul gives us general guidelines or a pattern for what to look for, what to avoid, because foolish speculations and wrangling about words, those kind of debates are always changing. The foolish arguments uh, about words today are different than yesterday, and there will be some new false, strange, or foolish debate or controversy tomorrow. Now, Paul is not saying the words of Scripture don't matter. Okay, don't anybody misunderstand this. He is not saying the truth doesn't matter. He's going to go on here in verse 15 to tell us to study Scripture and handle accurately the word of truth. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But of the first part of this warning is is that we are not to turn the gospel of Jesus Christ into an argument over words. And there's many applications of this. There's many ways to to, uh, apply this and understand this. One of them is that words and ideas are not a substitute for being born 
of the Spirit. Words and ideas are not a substitute for knowing Christ or for knowing the power of Christ. There are those who, I'm sure you've met them, I have, who love to argue over a text of Scripture or over a word of Scripture, but have no real fellowship with Jesus Christ. And they've never been touched by the Spirit of God. And they miss the really important message of the Bible because they become obsessed about controversies and side issues. A man by the, William, by the name of William Law who wrote uh, a serious call to a devout and holy life said this, and it may not have as, as much application right here because I, I don't think this is an, really an issue right here in our church, but it, I think, powerfully communicates a perspective that we need to have. William Law said, the life-giving power of Christ does not reside in Greek and Hebrew syntax, but in the quickening of the Holy Spirit. For the gospel is not in word only, but in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Some Christians can argue about how you pronounce a word or become absorbed with how one particular word in the Bible is translated. You probably heard Christians arguing in the last election over whether you should say 2 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. Or that it is more spiritual to use one certain word or another. This kind of Christianity results in quarrels. And it quenches love and it quenches the spirit. However, don't mistake this to mean that we should not contend earnestly for the faith. Okay? We are to contend earnestly for the faith. There is a time and a way to fight for the truth. But Paul is going after those who thrive on controversy and argument instead of the sound words of the gospel. So how do we tell what is a, a foolish discussion, um, a meaningless debate about words, or one that needs to take place in order to protect the gospel? I'm just going to give you uh, several principles that, that I believe are really important. That are, they're rooted in Scripture, uh, not necessarily taken from this passage, all of them, but I think we, we see them in here. Okay, so how do we tell what is a, a, a foolish a discussion, one that needs to play, take place to protect the gospel? One, is there clear teaching from God's Word on this, or is this only speculation? Paul mentions foolish speculations a few times, a couple of times at least through these through First and Second Timothy. Paul said, refuse ignorant speculations, 2 Timothy 2.23. Speculations are ideas that may or may not be true. They, they have no firm root in Scripture. They're, they're things that Scripture is not plain or clear about. And it's just... It's just a waste of time to spend all of your uh, Christianity <laughs> dealing with, with those things. And a lot, a lot of people just kind of end up dealing in speculation uh, for a lot of their Christian life, and it, it doesn't profit them or anybody else. Amen. What we talk about has to be tied to the Bible. Uh, 
I, we, was da- we were down, Cindy and I were down at a conference a few years. Actually, it was with uh, Sam Storm's uh, church in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. And I got a chance to talk to Sam, per- Sam personally. And I, one of the things we talked about, I mentioned my concerns about someone, a teacher who he knew and I knew, whose teaching concerned me. And Sam's comment was, he does say a lot of things that are not tethered to the scripture. Well, that's not a good thing to have said about someone who is a Bible teacher, or pastor, an elder, a shepherd of God's people. Now, many of you younger people probably don't even know what tetherball is, but tetherball is played with a ball fastened to a rope and tied firmly to a pole. And I'm not going to go into the rules of the game, how you hit it, you know, wrap, try to wrap it around the pole, all of that. But the point is the ball is tethered to the pole. And good Bible teaching is to be like that. Everything that, that I say, that, that we say at Real Life Church should be tethered to the Bible. Now, I understand now that tethered is a term used uh, when you connect your laptop to your iPhone's uh, mobile fi- signal. I'd never heard that before, but you get the point. Our teaching has to be completely connected to the Scripture. And that the teaching must be something that other believers who have the Spirit of God can also see in the text by reading and studying it. Are you with me still? Did I lose anybody in that sentence? Okay. Be suspicious of interpretations of verses that require one teacher who has some special information that no one else has, and you need to listen to that one guy to really understand the Bible. Paul said the veil that hides the meaning of Scripture is removed in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.14. The veil is removed whenever a man turns to the Lord. The Bible is not for one person with one special or secret interpretation or special knowledge. Second, we use discernment. And I actually don't mean human discernment. I mean the discernment given by the Holy Spirit. And I know this is subjective, but if you walk with God, you will be given wisdom. If the Holy Spirit actually dwells in you, you will be given wisdom to know when someone is pushing a foolish controversy. 1 John 2, 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. There is a real inner teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit in you and it will give you wisdom about how to deal and detect these kinds of things that we're talking about this morning. So when when somebody starts pushing an idea or a teaching that is unprofitable or untrue or foolish, those who have the Spirit and who know the Word of God will sense that in their inner person. You will sense that, that there was life and the presence of God in the fellowship, and then this discussion that's, inter- that's brought in chokes that life. 
It's like the air went out of the room when people bring up these controversies and foolish debates and speculations. Jesus said, the words that I spoke to are spirit and are life. Truth brings life. It revives your inner person when these, these other foolish discussions choke that, choke that life. They quench it. And you can tell that if, if you're in tune with the Spirit of God, you can tell that. Third, is it a matter that the Bible tells us is important? I know that there are some today, and this is a, actually a big problem today. There are some who want to reduce the Bible to just accept Jesus, and then it doesn't matter if you ignore the rest of the Scripture. That is not what I am saying at all. But there are core truths that should have our focus. For example, Paul said in Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. And he brings out the, the, you know, the, the, the Galatians were all tied up in this controversy over circumcision. And Paul says, what matters, guys, is your faith working through love or faith expressing itself through love. Jesus told the Pharisees, you give a tenth of your spices to God, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy and faithfulness. There are things that matter more. There are things that matter most to God. There are weightier things that we are to give ourselves to. And the things that matter most to God are the things that should matter most to us and should have, have our focus and attention. Fourth, does it sound anything at all like what Paul, Peter, and James and the other writers of Scripture were saying to the believers? Now, if you've, if you've listened to my teaching uh, over a period of time, and if, if any of it stuck with you, you will have heard me say that before. I just think that's such a good way to judge ideas and thoughts and issues as they come up. Does this sound anything at all like what Paul and Peter and James and the other writers of Scripture and John so forth, the other writers of Scripture said to believers? We need to be familiar with the New Testament Letters, especially with the whole Bible, but we need to be especially be familiar with the New Testament letters so that we can compare what we hear with them. And some of the things that people get into and start pushing and start arguing for just honestly do not sound even remotely like anything in the Bible or in the New Testament. You know, in verse 18, we're going to kind of jump down in our passage toward the latter part of it, but in verse 18, Paul gets into uh, specific people and a specific teaching uh, where he says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened and they are upsetting the faith of some. Well, that's an idea that did not agree with the apostolic teaching of 
Paul and Peter and James and so forth. It was, it was just off the wall. It wasn't, it wasn't true. It wasn't rooted in, it, 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 it wasn't the same thing that the uh, apostles were teaching. Now, we don't know how Hymenaeus and Philetus got their idea on the resurrection, but often false teachers claim to get a new teaching by a special uh, or secret knowledge. And in the New Testament times, this was called Gnosticism. It's a, kind of a, Gnosticism was kind of a, a worship of secret information that you'd some, somehow receive, uh, may, sometimes even from, from an angel or some, some kind of supernatural source that you, know, you just had directly, and that, then that was your authority. Now, I want to say this, because I believe it with all my heart, the Lord does communicate to his people. The Lord does communicate to us. We hear his voice in our hearts, and he gives us at times special words of comfort and, and leading. But when someone says they have received new revelation that creates new teaching, Paul says, watch out. That's, that's a huge uh, warning sign. Then Paul spends actually most of this passage, or much of this passage, telling us why we should I, avoid such things as these foolish debates or quarrels about words. And in general, why we should avoid these things is that they inflict great damage on each Christian and on each church where they are tolerated. Verse 14, uh, Paul said these quarrels about words do no good. They're not profitable. They, they don't help anybody. They don't, they don't make anybody a better Christian. People are not more loving. They don't love God more. They are not more filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't care more for people's souls and so on because of getting involved in these fruitless discussions. And he goes on to say that these quarrels actually ruin people. The New American Standard says they only lead to the ruin of the hearers. So when we take our focus off Christ and the core matters of God's word, it brings spiritual ruin. And verse 16 says, these kinds of debates do not lead to godly lives, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So a mark of, of good teaching, a, a mark of healthy teaching, sound teaching, is that people are becoming more godly. It leads, it's leading to increased purity, increased holiness, increased Love for God, increased devotion to God. A mark of foolish speculations, things that are not grounded in Scripture, is that nobody's really growing in godliness. And finally, uh, Paul said these debates are damaging because they will spread like gangrene. Verse, that's verse 17. So conflicts like this can get into the church and Paul says 
He's saying to Timothy, you better watch out for this. You know, in fact, I charge you solemnly in the presence of God to not engage in these kind of foolish quarrels because it will spread like gangrene. It will spread like a disease. Church becomes a debate about words or things that don't matter instead of being an expression of the life of Jesus Christ. You know, we've mentioned this many times here, but in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talked about the, the, effect, the, the effect that church should have on people, and he talks about things going on in the church service in such a way that the, you know, the presence of God is there in such a way that when an, the, when an outsider comes into the church, Paul said they will fall down on their face and worship and say that God is certainly among you. That's the kind of thing that's supposed to mark our fellowship and our meeting as a church. If it's marked by squabbles and meaningless discussions and foolish speculations, uh, people are not going to come in and say, wow, God is certainly among you. They're going to say, I don't want to be a part of that place. So what is the remedy to all of this? That's verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That is what is contrasted with all this other stuff that, that Paul calls uh, foolish babble. Or I think the New American Standard says empty chatter. So we are each to devote ourselves to careful investigation of God's word so that we have an accurate understanding of it and so that what we talk about with one another accurately reflects what is in the Bible. And Paul begins this instruction, do your best. Now if someone uh, comes up to you about anything, about anything you're doing and says, do your best, what does that make you think? What, what does that communicate to you? Well, it, it means you do your best. <laughs> it means you do something with all of your heart. It means you, you put effort into it. You, you want to do it really well. So that's wh where Paul starts. Do your best. And do your best about what? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Now, there's a lot in that sentence. But essentially it says, do your best to have God's approval about how you study and handle his word. And that's really what it's saying. Of course, we all have different gifts. And those who are gifted and called to teach, I believe, have a special responsibility to study and know the scriptures uh, in an extra way, I guess. I don't know how to say it better than, better than that. 
I'm not, so I don't, we don't all have the same, same gifts. I, I, you know, I get that. And I wouldn't want to put that as kind of a, kind of a, a like a, this heavy law on everybody. That everybody's got to know the scripture as well as Josh does, okay? But we are all to do our best to know and study and love the word of God. We're to seek God's approval. We're to do it in a way that God approves of. He says that God would look and say, you know, I, I like the way that child of mine is studying and handling the word of God. Now, I, I want to add this because I think it's really important. You know, we talk about reading our Bibles a lot, and for some it, 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 it can almost get to the point of legalism. So I want to say this. If we have put your, our faith in Jesus Christ, we pick up our Bibles as justified people. When we pick up our Bibles, we are already saints, beloved children, accepted, loved, accepted by God, adopted as his beloved children. We, we pick up our Bibles to read them and study them from that status with God. Justified people. We come to the scripture as that. We don't come to earn our salvation or earn our justification by how much we read our Bibles. But we do come with an eagerness to God's word to please him and to have him approve of how we do it. To have him say, well done, good and faithful servant, as to how we approach his word. So how are we to handle God's word. Well, Paul says, as a worker, or as I memorized this verse years ago, as a workman. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that we are to consider ourselves, or we are to see ourselves as soldiers. We're to consider ourselves or see ourselves as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Here, Paul says we are to see ourselves as workers, as men and women at work. So we might need to reconsider our approach to studying God's word, maybe, possibly, right? Could our diligence, could our doing our best to study the word be considered workmanlike. This is, a, this, is an, this is an encouragement. If it's not, this is an encouragement to change our perspective in, 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 in our approach to the word, to, to consider it and approach it in a workmanlike manner. When you open your Bibles... Have you ever thought of it as going to work? You open your Bible and say, okay, now we're ready to go to work. And I don't mean work primarily in the sense of doing something we don't like to do. But work in the sense that work is serious business. So, when we open our Bibles here on a Sunday morning, 
we, we should, in part at least, think of ourselves as workers ready to go to work. We're here to do the work of listening. We're here to do the work of thinking, of taking in what we hear, of making sure what we hear does line up and comes forth from connected to, tethered to the Word of God. We're to to do the work of actually taking this home and doing further study in things that we talk about here, here on Sunday. Adjusting our lives and our thoughts to the Word. As James said, being doers of the Word, not hearers only. All, I think all of those things are involved in, in being workers or coming to the Word, word with a workman-like attitude. Now, of course, some people do their work, whatever it is, very well, and some people don't do their work well at all, and there's everything in between. So, interestingly, Paul clarifies uh, that we are to study like a workman who does not need to be ashamed of his work. I mean, you can, we, can, we can sort of work in a way that that if anybody looks at it, what we've done, we're ashamed of it. Or we can do a work in a way that if somebody looks at it, we're not ashamed of it. You know, when, when we finish a, a, new, a new home, we schedule a walkthrough with the customer, of course, before they move in. And when we do that walkthrough, we do not want to be ashamed of our work. And you have things that you do that if other people see them, you don't, you don't want to be ashamed of it. And so when we uh, present ourselves to God, and we all will, we don't want to be ashamed with how we have handled uh, His Word. Then it says we are to be workmen, rightly handling the Word of Truth. Or the King James Version says rightly dividing uh, which means something like cutting it straight. We're, we're to handle the Word of God in a straightforward manner. You know, cutting it just like it speaks. Uh, no spin. Uh, David Guzik said, uh, Timothy had to know what the word said and what it didn't say and, and how it was to be understood and how it was not to be understood. It wasn't enough for Timothy to know some Bible stories and verses and sprinkle them through his sermons and illustrations. His teaching was to be rightly dividing the word of God or teaching correctly or correctly teaching his congregation. So, if I wrote you a letter, let's say, how would you handle the letter that I wrote you accurately. Well, you would seek to understand exactly what I meant when I wrote it to you without distorting it or changing the meaning of it. And in studying the Bible, we are to seek to understand just what the Spirit has said and what the Spirit meant 
when or as he spoke it through the human author of Scripture. We're, we're not to twist it or distort it. Uh, we're not to mix in our own opinion in it. We're, we're to take what it plainly says. Many people cast off um, or reject, I would say, maybe the, the serious work of understanding the Bible by saying, well, there's just so many interpretations out there. You know, I might have my interpretation, you have your interpretation, this other person has their interpretation. And they just sort of throw up their hands and say, you know, it's hopeless. I'm not going not to worry that much about it. I'm not going not gonna to try to try to understand it that mu- that much. Just so many different ideas. I hope that our teaching today, particularly verse 15, would dispel any kind of notion um, of that. We're we're told to do your best to study. So we are to go to the Bible, which. Uh, it's called the word of truth, and let's be like the Bereans who examined everything carefully. Let's do the work. And does it take some time and study to do that? Yes, it does. Do we always understand everything perfectly? No, we don't. But God will be pleased by our diligence in earnestly seeking to handle his word accurately. And the word is such a precious and good thing, it's, it's worth handling accurately. The word of God, rightly handled, gives life to people. The word of God, rightly handled, edifies people. The Word of God rightly handles, build up, builds up the church. The Word of God rightly handles, sanctifies us. It transforms us into godly and loving people conformed to the image of Christ. The Word of God handled rightly is reviving to the soul. So, handle the Word accurately so that it is free in all its power to do those things. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray.